it's time for another episode of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes. Here's your host, Terrence McCauley. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes right here on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. My guest today is Ellie Griffiths. She is the award-winning author of the Ruth Galloway and Brighton Mystery Series. She lives in England, and The Last Remains, the 15th book in her Ruth Galloway series, is soon to be available in April from Mariner Books. Ellie, thank you for being here. For asking me. Oh, of course. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your latest book and what uh, people can expect from the earlier parts of the series if they haven't read them already? Well, yes, of course. So, The Last Remains is book 15 in the Dr. Ruth Galloway series. And the first is, is The Crossing Places, and it introduces us to a forensic archaeologist called Dr. Ruth Galloway, who lives mm. on her own um, on, a, on a beautiful but a bit desolate section of, of the coast in North Norfolk on the east of England. She works at a university there, and she goes into work one day, and she finds a detective waiting for her there outside her office. And he wants her help because he knows that he's found some, uh, some of his team have found bones buried on the marshland. And mm -hmm. as a forensic archeologist, she's an expert in bones. So she's asked to go and look at these bones. Um, but she knows immediately that they're actually ancient. They're actually 2000 years old, but she's drawn into the case. And I have to say into a very complicated relationship with the policeman, DCI Harry mm. Nelson. So now we've got to book 15 and right. the relationship, relationship has only got more complicated, I have to say. And this one again starts with bones. So it starts with um, some uh, builders uh, renovating a, a cafe in Kings Lynn, which is, is a real life uh, a city town or city can't remember town in okay in Norfolk. <laughs> uh, very so very ancient the parts are ancient parts that are modern parts that are beautiful parts that are beautiful but this is in the old part of the town and they find some bones uh buried behind um, a fireplace in an old cafe so Ruth comes in to, to look at them this time she knows that they're modern because there's actually a surgical pin in, in the in the foot and these mm. bones turn out to be the remains of a student at Cambridge which is nearby uh, who disappeared 20 years ago so that's Ruth case but it's very complicated it's full of decisions for her not only about the case but about her life because her university department's under threat but of course about her relationship with Nelson of course of course yeah and that definitely makes her relatable to the uh, audience over the last 15 books what made you decide that your protagonist would be a uh, forensic archaeologist that's quite a niche to have it is for a couple of reasons. I mean, I guess that the first one is that my husband Andy um, had had a career change, sort of uh, midlife career change. So he'd been he was a lawyer when I met him, and he worked in the mm -hmm. city. But he'd always been interested in archaeology, and really, I think would have liked to have done it really first off, but chose law because it was a bit of a safer profession. Um, right. But then, then after we were married and we had two young children, he said to me, "Oh." You being a lawyer I, I, about being an archaeologist I'd, I'd like to I'd like to try that now I'd like to give it a go so he did he went back to university and trained as an archaeologist and it was great for him and it was great for our family I have to say because we saw so much more of him um, but right. it made us all interested in archaeology and he told me about these beings called forensic archaeologists who huh. were called in and often often genuinely were um, uh, consulted by the police 
because they can tell just from, from the bones sometimes how they were put there, why they were put there, whether they were buried, you know, accidentally by a sort of rock fall or soil fall, or whether they were buried deliberately and right. how they were buried. And they can look at landscape, you know, it's so interesting. I've got to say, you know, I remember one archaeologist telling me that in a, you can look at the landscape and if there are nettles there, it could mean that there, there's a body there because uh, it's, oh. it's uh, nettles only grow apparently where there's some sort of human remains. I guess it needn't be exactly oh. a body, but do you know what I mean? So it means yeah. you look at landscape in a totally different way. So I thought, what a great, you know, protagonist for a book. But I also thought um, it's quite similar to detective work in a way. And it'd be interesting yeah. to have an archaeologist, particularly a woman archaeologist, very, very confident in herself, in her field, coming up mm. against uh, a, a male detective who had the same sort of role. He wanted to find out why people had, somebody had died and how, but they would approach it in such different ways. So, so that's why. And then again, um, Norfolk, which is where the books are set, it's just full of archaeology. There's so much archaeology there. It's like you can just dig in the ground and you've got layers, you know, you've got prehistory and Roman and um, medieval right. and Victorian, Second World War. So you never, you never run out of bodies, really. Right, unfortunately or fortunately, depending on your outlook. <laughs> it's like yeah, no, that's... murders. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, exactly, yeah. I mean, there's always somebody to, uh, that, can, that can wind up dead or uh, does wind up dead eventually. Um, yeah, because that's a fascinating uh, capability to give you a protagonist because you can go in so many directions in that uh, with that skill set, and you certainly have over the span of 15 books, haven't you? Yeah, definitely, and it is an interesting uh, speciality to have because it's it's a it's it's a good job to be being an archaeologist because it's sort of scientific. And mm -hmm. it's sort of geographical, you know, you know about the land and you're talking about, you know, you, you know about, about the soil and all those sort of things. But it's also a tiny bit mystical as well, because you are making, you know, you know you're piecing together these stories and, and you're taking into account ritual and how people live their life. So I do think it's a really interesting skill set, because on one hand, very, very technical. And there's a lot of uh, technology involved nowadays, quite a lot of geophysics involved. And on the other right. hand, there's a, there's a lot of guesswork. If Andy were here he'd be saying it's not guesswork but do you know what I mean there is a bit of a balance between things that you really know and um the scientific evidence and things that you just a story that you have to make up so I think that's what really interests me about it right yeah I mean that's a, that's one of those ideas for a character where if I had heard it in the first book I'd say okay that could probably work but then you the way you've described it in this interview it really is fantastic and it's given you a lot of different ways to tell a lot of great stories over the course of this period of, uh, of books that you've got. Um, I was wondering, in your opinion, there is a 15 book series. Can people jump in in the middle of the series do they, or do you suggest that they read them all in order? Of course you want them to read all 15 books, but do you think that, have you written them so that they're linked or how, how have you uh, created this world of yours? I can jump in at any point and I haven't really tried to make it so that can happen. So each story is complete in itself. You'll never mm -hmm. have to going to have to rely on another book to find out who did it, for example. So each sort of murder mystery within each book is complete. So you can jump in at any point. But I would say that probably it just kind of depends on the sort of person you are as well, whether you're a completist who wants the whole set. Right. Which is, is a bit me. I don't know if that's a bit you as well. You might want me to. Me too. Yeah. 
yeah, and have a look at them on your shelf like that. But also, I think because, you know, as I was saying, a lot of it is about the relationships, particularly the relationship between Ruth and Nelson, which becomes very complicated. But also, of course, after 15 books, there's a big, you know, big cast of characters. There's a mm -hmm. the druid, there's the other police officers. So I think in order to keep those straight in your head, it might be good to start at book one and go to book 15. But if anyone's just want to pick up one at random, that's fine too. <laughs> yes, it's good for everybody because it is funny too. People, some people would be, uh, some readers are are a little bit frightened of starting such a big series uh, that yeah. that's been so long. But then others find comfort in it because they know that they have a lot of runway before they run out of books to read. So it's a uh, it's an interesting conundrum to be in sometimes, isn't it? Yes, it is. It's true. And I don't know, I always feel quite excited when I find a, a new writer. Recently, I discovered a British writer called Phil Rickman, and I was so happy because he'd written so many books. And I love them, by the way. I don't know if you've come across them. They're really great, full of mysticism and things. Um, but mm. then again, I can also understand how people might think, oh, book 15, <laughs> have I got you know, enough time to dedicate to this? So rest assured, right. you can start anywhere. But I think it's quite a nice feeling to think there are a lot, a lot of books to read. Sure. Yes, I do, too. And also you've created a world that people can lose themselves in, which is uh, which which goes on for such a long time, which is important in today's world, because we're not just entertaining. We're also offering an escape from uh, from the everyday world, aren't we? Definitely. And you've done that in your books, too, haven't you? Sort of created this world. And I think it is particularly the last few years, you know, with lockdown and everything that's been going on. It hasn't it been wonderful to be able to escape into books? I really did find that and uh, very lucky to have that you know we've got this series I've also got a series set in the 50s in Brighton and another series uh, about a different detective so I've got various worlds well I know you have too that you can right. sort of dip into one and then dip into another and that that's a wonderful feeling really it really is and the other one that you're famous for as you just mentioned is your Brighton series that's set in the 50s and I was wondering how uh, if you could talk a little bit about that and let the audience know about uh, that part of your creativity as well. well as you say, this, this series is set in the 1950s. It starts in 1950. And it's mm -hmm. really um, set in the sort of theatrical world. I think in the US, you might sort of say vaudeville. And here we would say mm -hmm. variety. And that, that sort of world where you would have these strange shows every night with, with, a, with a motley collection of people in them. And I'm really interested in this, partly because my granddad was one of those entertainers. He was a comedian and um, he, right. he was a variety entertainer. And when he died, he left me his playbills. And I wish I, uh, you know, I wish I could show mm. you one because the names on them are just amazing. They're things like um, Lou Lenny and her unrideable mule. Hey, what's all that about? <laughs> Was that a real meal? You know, if so, you can see why nobody could ride it. I don't know. And Dorothy Gray and brother. I mean, why not give us his name? You know, what's the story there? Another one is Ray Dini, the gay deceiver. No idea who he is. Okay. So I always wanted to write about these people, really. Um, right. And so uh, th these books are about a, a magician called Max Mephisto, who in the war is part of... Um, uh, an espionage group that used stage magic in the war effort and there really was a group like that it's a group yes. called the magic men and you yeah i'm sure because of course you you know about the, the the war so you've probably heard about um, um jasper masculine and the magic men and they used like stage magic and um uh you know just sleight of hand and misdirection camouflage they made dummy right. tanks and dummy soldiers and stuff like that 
Um, That's what I've definitely heard of, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure you will have heard, and often based in North Africa. And so mm -hmm. that, was, that was a real backstory. So I've, I've created a character, made up character called Max Mephisto who has that backstory. And in the first of these books, The Zigzag Girl, Max teams up with an old army friend who's now a police officer to solve a series of crimes. So the, the latest of those books, the last one of those books is The Midnight Hour. And we're right up to 1965 now. And the next wow. one will be, Great Deceiver, obviously drawing on my old friend Ray Deeney from those posters, The Great Deceiver, um, and that's book seven. So I think I'm, I think that might be out in the States in the fall. I'm not quite sure, I'm afraid, but it will be coming your way at some point. That's fantastic. And, and it's, it's interesting how uh, the two of your big, longest going uh, series do have a certain amount of research and sleight of hand to them, you know, the, 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 not only the mystery that you present, but also in the, in the DNA, if you will, of the, of the protagonists. That's, that's fascinating uh, way to approach your work. What we do as writers, isn't it? We're saying, you know, crime writers, mystery writers. We mm -hmm. were, we're saying to people, oh, look, you know, here's a scene. There's a, somebody comes in, oh, don't look too closely at that person. Look over there at that lovely view. Look at the sea. Don't notice this man who's just come in. Oh, this person called Richard can't be related to the other man called Dick. No, no, you you just forget that. So you are doing that all the time, really, aren't you? Whilst putting all the clues there in a fair way to make sure that people can solve the crime. So, and, and then you have the reveal at the end. So it is a bit right. theatrical, now I come to think of it. It is, it is somewhat theatrical. And there's always something to be uncovered, whether it's the uh, ma magical sleight of hand element or something that's buried in the past that is relevant now in the future. And that's that was part of when I when I started looking over your work that, that really reached me because uh, a lot of people go for like the straightforward procedural or the the dynamic, the just the dynamic between the two characters as the protagonist. But with you, it's always got even the plot itself and the people themselves have layers to them, which is is, is fascinating. Uh, thank you. Yes, and I do love that about writing. Really, the idea of, that there might be layers of, of history and that things can be sort of repeated, um, particularly in in a particular setting. That that there could be echoes, maybe of things that have happened before. Um, I think the the third Ruth book is called The House at Sea's End, and that's in in a part of Norfolk that is genuinely crumbling into the sea. And it and it um, uh, in the course of this, these bodies from the Second World War emerge, and so you have this whole history of what's happened before and what's happening now and things just getting uncovered and and uh, brought back to the surface which I do find really really interesting so thank you very much I'm glad you felt that about the books oh I certainly did I certainly did and the one and the other aspect of your career is that you also have several standalones and I was wondering how you approach those after having at least two incredibly successful series do you are they um, creative palate cleansers for you, or is it just the natural course of your creative process? Yeah, I think so. So although I've got to say my standalones are not particularly successful as standalones because they all have the same detective in them. So I've obviously mm. I've obviously slightly made them into a series, you know, they've all got DI hub in decor in them, which is not a DI at first. But yeah, when I when I first wanted to do a standalone, which is the Stranger Diaries, I, it was really that. It was really that I wanted to do something different, wanted to try something different, wanted to try a kind of gothic novel, and it wouldn't fit into either of my series. But it was quite a frightening thing to suddenly um 
have have this blank page really I sort of knew mm-hmm. where I was going to go and I didn't even completely have the character sorted out I just knew I wanted to do something different and of course in a standalone you do have that freedom don't you you can just say right. I don't know I've decided to set it in Inverness or I decided to set it in I can you can just do that whereas of course there's a limit w- with Ruth because everyone knows that she was born and where she grew up and what she did so that's all right. laid out you know it's a sort of straight jacket that I've made for myself really but it's it's all there and people will soon tell me if I get that wrong so with with the with with the standalone that freedom is really exciting but it's also a bit scary isn't it because right and actually when I was writing Stranger Diaries I didn't make any notes I didn't usually I do just a few sort of notes and sort of chapter headings and things like that but this time I didn't write anything down and actually it's my most complicated plot because it's a Again, it's a murder in the past and a murder in the present. It's uh, told from three different points of view. And the fact that mm-hmm. I didn't write it down, I felt that that gave me more freedom. I was able to sort of uh, j- just make it a little bit more labyrinthine, a little bit more tricky. And there's a great quote, which I'm sure you've heard, and I think it's uh, R.L. Doctorow said, um, uh, it's like driving, writing like that is like driving in the dark with your headlights on. You only see a little bit of the road, but you can make the whole journey like that. And that was really, and that's that's what that experience is like for me, driving in the dark with my headlights on, E.L. Doctorow. Yes, E.L. Doctorow, yeah, he he wrote, and and, you know, somebody who often, who certainly knew about how to write memorable characters and memorable stories. I mean, he was, he was phenomenal. Um, Where do you, uh, for the next part of, of your books, I know you've got, the new one coming out now, The Last Remains. I was wondering after that one, what's your trajectory? Are you going to do another Ruth Galloway book? Are you going to dip back into Brighton? Are you going to do Ruth Stanton? What's on the horizon for you? It's quite a moment for me, actually, because I've said that this is the last Ruth book. I have Mm -hmm. slightly, you know, hedged my bets because I've said it's the last for now. Um, but but it does bring this part of Ruth's story to a close. And I think if you're waiting to, to find out how Ruth and Nelson's story is going, you will find out in this book. Because I okay. don't think you can, I don't think you can stretch out will they won't they forever. And so you do find right. out in this book. So it's a pause at least. So it is quite a, you know, a, a moment really. It feels like quite a moment for me, quite an exciting moment. And I really enjoyed writing the book. But bit scary as well so there'll be at least you know another couple of Brian mysteries that there's another one coming out soon there'll be another book about Harbinder this time focusing on the characters in um, the postscript murders which is the second book okay sort of, it's about that sort of group of characters and then I want to write a new series I haven't really thought that much about it but I've got some ideas so that's what I want to do next that's fantastic and it's always important for the audience to know what the writer is thinking in terms of where they're going and, and the time they're going to invest with us on the journey that we lay out for them. And it sounds like uh, with Ruth, it's not going to be the end of her story. It's just going to be end of part one of her story. That's a really good way of putting it. Yes, it's the end of this bit of her story, but I'm pretty sure I will come back to her. Yes, in the future. Of course, I'm sure you will. And I know that the rest of us in your audience wants that as well what is the best way that people can track you because you've got so much stuff going on uh how can they follow you on social media and on your website places like that 
Well, yeah, great. So I'm on, on Twitter, I'm just as Ellie Griffiths and Instagram, Ellie Griffiths. Also got a, a Facebook page and various other, if, if you've read um, The Last Remains and want to discuss it uh, without worrying about spoilers, that there's there's a page where you can do that. So yeah, find, find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, or on my website. I'm everywhere. <laughs> and I That's do, fantastic. I, I do tweet quite often, not always about the books, I have to say. You might see quite a lot of my cat as well, but you know, I love to hear from people. That's it. Yeah. And I would imagine that hearing back from the uh, audience, especially after so many long running series, it, it helps refresh you and to give you new ideas about how to uh, approach both topics, isn't it? So true. It really is. And and also now, because uh, the Ruth books are nearly all set in, in Norfolk, um, people in Norfolk are always writing to me and telling me really exciting things and, you know, about this little particular spooky story that they'd heard or this site where something was discovered. And actually, it's so wonderful because people are doing so much of the research for you and it's lovely. And I, I, I really do genuinely love to hear, not just if you're going to do some research for me, but I genuinely love to hear from people. And it's one of the big joys, isn't it, to hear from people who, who've enjoyed your books or have a question for you, want to discuss them. That's so great. It certainly is. It certainly is. And it keeps the creative juices going. So thank yes. you so much for taking the time for uh, to talk to us and to uh, tell my audience a lot about all of the work that you're you're currently doing and will be doing in the future. I really appreciate it. You really enjoyed our chat. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you. And thank you, everybody, for listening to another edition of Spies, Lies and Private Eyes right here on the Authors on the Air global radio network and please don't forget to visit best thriller books your place to go for the best reviews and giveaways in the business bestthrillerbooks.com thanks a lot everybody see you next time you have been listening to spies lies and private eyes with host terence mccauley on authors on the air global radio network <laughs>